in the Navy. They're taught the best way to fight a storm or a hurricane was just to move out to sea and anchor deep. Hi, this is Greg. I'm one of the pastors here at West Valley Christian Church. There are times in our lives when we're caught in storms. Maybe someone listening is going through that right now. The best way to fight a storm is to anchor deep. Join us as we explore this year's theme and see how we have hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure in Christ. We hope you enjoy. All right, amen. Good morning. Good to see you all today. So um, if you guys have been around the church for a while, you know this. If you're relatively new, you don't know this. But uh, my wife and I, Christine and I, we have two sons. And uh, our sons are 25 and 27. And our oldest son... um, when he was in high school, he played soccer, was a soccer player, and was going to play in college. And in his last club soccer game, uh, just a couple weeks before starting college soccer practice, uh, he broke his leg. And so, uh, yeah, I'm an incredibly compassionate father. Uh, he was hurt. He didn't play anymore. It looked pretty bad. I made him walk to the car. Um, so, you know, no father of the year awards for me that day. Uh, but so anyway, so he, he broke his leg. And he subsequently, you know, wasn't able to play what would have been his, his first um, soccer, you know, college soccer season. And so we were really excited, I think, in January of 2015 to be able to go and watch him, uh, you know, play in his first game. It was a spring game. And so we were watching the game, and he, he lived with, uh, he had roommates, three other guys that were on the team as well. And uh, one of them we'd known for several years. One of them we'd gotten to know a little bit even before college. And so I watched the game, and I remember afterwards talking to Andrew and just saying, Andrew, what's, what's wrong with Evan? He, did, he didn't look right out there. Like, he looked like he was running funny. You know, he says, yeah, he says he's been having problems with his knee. And so he's been going to the doctor, and they don't know what's wrong, blah, blah, blah. Well, long story short, um, Evan ended up having cancer in his knee, uh, which is just crazy to think about an 18-year-old uh, having cancer and cancer in the knee. And so he went through treatment for that, and pretty much his soccer career was over, but they were hoping to you know, take care of him to save his life. I just remember thinking, wow, that was, must have been really hard for, for the team you know, to deal with that and to, and to watch him go through those struggles and, and what have you. And so that was bad enough. And then, I don't know, a couple years later, I think it was two years later, um, it was again, it was in January, February time of the year, and the team had a weekend off. And so one of Andrew's teammates went home for the weekend, uh, went to a party, uh, drank too much, and died of alcohol poisoning. And so in just a short amount of time, you know, this, this little team, this little community has, has dealt with an awful lot. Um, and if that weren't enough, a year later, once again, we were down in San Marcos waiting for a game, and one of Andrew's teammates wasn't there, and nobody knew where he was. And it turns out he and his father uh, had been driving to the school for the game, and they'd been involved in a car accident. And so um, it was a pretty bad accident. I think the dad was okay, uh, but his parents had been told, listen, he's, he's not going to make it. So prepare yourself for that. And I think because he was a you know, 20-year-old, strong, healthy, you know, healthy kid, uh, he survived the accident. Um, you know, uh, and so again, there's a lot that went on there in just a short amount of time. And so Andrew's friend Evan, just every time he would get treated, whatever was wrong with him, it kept coming back. And so eventually in 2020, uh, he passed away uh, from cancer. And so, you know, we had prayed for him and for his family. And uh, it was just sad. 
I remember going to the funeral in his parents' backyard with two masks on. I feel like a little bit of an idiot now with two masks on. Um, but then, if that wasn't bad enough, shortly after that, the young man who had really miraculously survived a car accident ended up dying in a car accident. And so in just a couple of years, my son and his whole team, that whole community of people, had just suffered a lot of loss. And it's in those moments where you can't help but start to ask the question, why? Like, why is this happening? Why did, like, it's bad enough for one thing. Like, that's all I kept thinking about. I'm 52 years old, and I know I've been very fortunate. But I still have all of my friends. Like, all the friends that I grew up with, all the friends that I became friends with in college, like, they're still all running around. And yet, so this, this the idea that Andrew and his group of friends down there, in, in the matter of three or four years, have lost three people. And, and so I just remember struggling with that, and the idea that, the reality is he never asked me. But if Andrew came to me and said, why? Dad, why is this happening? I wouldn't really have any great answers for him. Okay? And, and so um, that question of why, though, is normal, isn't it? As we go through struggles, as things happen, and you look at different situations that don't seem right or don't seem fair, it seems normal to ask the question of why. And so actually the story that we're going to look at today, the disciples don't ask why, but they kind of ask why. Okay, so if you have your Bibles, uh, open them up to John chapter 9. I believe the words will be up on the screen. If the words that are different than, from the screen than my Bible, I apologize for that. It's my fault. Um, Anyways, in John chapter 9, starting in verse 1, it says, As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam, which this word means scent. So the man went and washed and came home seen. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, he only looks like the man. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes open, they demanded. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. And so Jesus sees this guy who's born blind, and the disciples ask him a question. They say, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents. Now, what are they really asking? What are they really asking? The question they're really asking is why? They're asking why this happened to this guy. Like, why do bad things happen? Why did this happen to this young man? Have, have any of you ever asked God why? Maybe you've been dealing with something in your life, and you've said, Lord, why? Why is this happening? Why is this going on? You get some bad news. Why, God? You lose a job. Why, God? You fill in the blank, whatever it is that you're dealt with, and you say, why? Why is this going on? Um, 
In 2014, a guy named Bob Russell wrote a book. I believe there'll be a picture of it up on the screen. It's a really good book. And he was the pastor at this massive church in Kentucky. It started with a couple hundred people. When he was finished, it was around 30,000 people. And so he wrote this book called Acts of God. Um, and I'm trying to think what the, what the other title. Oh, it says, Acts of God, Why Does God Allow So Much Pain? And it's such a really good book, and I find it really helpful because it answers the questions, you know, why do bad things happen? Why do bad things happen to good people? Why, do, why, why don't bad things happen to bad people? You know, like sometimes we wonder that too, right? Not just why do good things happen, or why do bad things happen to good people, but like, we all see lots of really bad people. We're like, how do they seem to get through life unscathed? And so in his book, he kind of gives six different reasons for suffering and evil in our world. And, and I want to mention those to you guys right now. Number one, he mentions this idea of discipline. The idea that the Bible teaches us in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 4 through 6, that God disciplines those he loves. And so sometimes we go through struggles in our lives because God is disciplining us. Like we're getting a little bit out of line, and he needs to kind of get us right back in. It needs to get us where we need to be. And so sometimes we suffer because of discipline. Secondly, and honestly, if I was making this list, this would have been number one, two, and three, okay? But a lot of times there's suffering and evil in this world because of poor decisions, okay, right? We're prone to, we're prone to do a lot of stupid things, aren't we? Okay, I apologize for any moms who don't let their kids say that word. Stupid, I did. Okay, anyway, like we, we make poor decisions. The Bible over and over again shows us it says that we reap what we sow. And quite often, some, like a lot of people have stuff happen. Like, how could this happen, pastor? How could this happen? And I very kindly try to, you know, like, well, listen, sometimes our choices have consequences. And so much of the suffering, like if I had, I don't know, you know, I, I couldn't put a number on it. But if I had to put a number on it, you know, probably about 80% of our suffering comes because of our own poor decisions. All right? So discipline, poor decisions. Uh, thirdly, he mentions satanic attacks. And so if you remember the story in the Bible of Job, okay, the, the, we don't really talk about the devil a lot, but the reality is the devil does like to attack God's people. And so I believe that is a source of struggle and difficulty sometimes. The fourth thing he mentions is the sins of others, okay? So it's bad enough that because of our own choices, bad things happen, but quite often bad things happen because of the choices of other people, Kind of like when you throw a rock into water and you have those ripples. Well, there's that ripple effect. One person does something that's wrong and it affects all kinds of other people. And so the sins of others. Fifthly, the Bible talks about persecution. It says in 2 Timothy 3 verse 12, anyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And so sometimes we go through difficult times because we are doing what God wants us to do. Like sometimes bad things are happening. You're like, God, how can you let this happen? And you think, am I doing something wrong? Am I in the wrong place? Am I doing the wrong thing? Well, guess what? Sometimes those things are happening because you are exactly in the right place. And you're doing exactly the right things. And you are suffering because of that. And lastly, uh, he mentions the idea that we live in a fallen world. And so not only are we sinful... And not only are the people that are around us were affected by the sins of the people around us, but the idea that our world is not exactly how God intended it to be. And with the fall of man came the fall of creation. And so there's all kinds of things that happen that, that were not around before sin. And that cause a lot of suffering and cause a lot of bad. And so 
You know, those are, I read this book, I thought those are such great answers, but I have to tell you this, now that you have been uh, somewhat weaponized with those answers, and they're on the screen, they're in the bulletin if you need those things, let me encourage you with one thing. So if you have a friend or a loved one who's really struggling right now, going through a difficult time, and they're asking why, the last thing I want, to do, want you to do is to go home and say, you know what? Put your arm around the person. Last thing I want to hear you do is say, you know, Pastor John told me today, it's your poor decisions. Okay? <laughs> now, don't get me wrong. There may be a time and a place eventually to talk about their poor decisions. But as people are going through hard times, going through struggles and difficulties, that is not the time to tell them all the ways that they've blown it. That's the time for us to come alongside them and to encourage them and to love them. And when they, when they won't stop, you know, without an answer, say, you know, let's talk about this again in about two months, okay? So please, don't run around telling people everything's happening to them because of their poor decisions or anything like that, okay? So have the information, but don't use it against people. And so in our passage today, though, Jesus actually gives an answer that isn't part of those six. And, and you know, sometimes we read the Bible, we could skip right over things, uh, but the words that Jesus used and the, what he said about this is quite interesting because the disciples asked him why this happened. Was it his sin or his parents? Interesting question because the guy was born blind. And they're asking if it was his sin that's the reason why he was blind. And, and I don't know how many people, if it was a prominent belief at the time, but I read this week where they were talking about how there were people that believed that a, that a baby that was still inside his mother could do something wrong or could sin, which seemed a little crazy to me, okay? Uh, but that, you know, they're asking this question, who sinned, the, the parent or the child? And we might even think, as we listen to it now, 2,000 years later, we might think it sounds like a crazy question. But let me ask you this. Do children suffer because of parents' decisions all the time? It does happen all the time. Par children suffer because of par parents' poor decisions all the time. And it's something that we read about even in the Bible. You read about in the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20. It says, you shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. Now, this next part's the good news, though, because then it says, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. And so it isn't crazy, the idea that they thought maybe the parents had done something wrong. Matter of fact, you read through the Old Testament. Like one, of the, one of the greatest stories that explains this, Joshua chapter 7. You have the story of Achan. Okay? They weren't supposed to take anything when they conquered these places. Achan took something. Who paid the price for Achan's sin? Actually, at first, all of Israel paid the price. And then eventually, Achan and his whole family were put to death. Why? Because of his sin. And so that idea that the disciples were talking about, the idea that his parents' sin could have caused it, wasn't all that crazy. But Jesus responds by saying this, well, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. I want you to think about that for a second. I'm going to read it again. Jesus isn't saying that his parents aren't sinners, but he's saying that isn't why this happened. But I want you to read this, hear this again. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. So he wasn't born blind because of discipline or poor decisions 
or satanic attack or the sins of others or persecution or because we live in a fallen world. He was born blind because God had a plan for him. Okay, He was born blind because God had a plan for them. Now, that sounds cool, doesn't it? Like, I, I think each one of us would like to know that God had a plan for us. The downside to that is, and we don't know how old this young man was, but he was old enough to answer for himself. Okay? So he'd have been considered an adult. He was old enough to answer for himself. So it sounds really cool, the idea that God had a plan for him. But think about this. He was blind until God operated, went through with that plan. Like, we don't know, was he 15 years old, 20 years old? Like, he was blind for 15 to 20 years so that God's plan could come to fruition. Like he was a beggar. It talks about him begging on the side of the road. God had a plan. His plan led to this guy being blind and begging on the side of the road. That might make us a little uncomfortable when we think about that. Like he most likely sat on the side. I wonder. Or did he just know? Did he always know? Did he know that God had a plan for his life? Or did he sit on the side of the road begging, feeling kind of hopeless? Feeling like, man, I got nowhere to go and I got nothing going on in my life. But the bottom line is this, sometimes things happen so that God can be glorified and shown in our lives. And so as usual, if you were to keep reading in John chapter 9, the Pharisees who have an adversarial relationship with Jesus begin to question the man, like what happened? They question his parents, and his parents being afraid of the religious leaders Say, listen, he's old enough. Let him answer for himself. And this is why. So listen, I'm just going to say Dino's name because he's sitting in the front of church here right now and he's somewhat half asleep, okay? So like if West Valley decided we didn't like Dino anymore and we kicked him out of our church, okay? Anybody in favor of that? I did not see any hands, Dino. Just yours, okay? So if we toss Dino out, there's a million churches around here that Dino could go to. Like he might hurt for a little while, but it wouldn't be that big a deal. But for someone to be, and they were afraid of being tossed out of the synagogue, for someone to be tossed out of the synagogue, that would be a terrible, terrible thing because there weren't synagogues on every corner. And so to be cut off from the place where you would go to worship, where you would go to, to relate with your people, to fellowship, like that would be a tough thing. And so his parents are afraid of that. And so they say to him, hey, he's old enough, ask him. Okay, which I think is kind of a funny thing. You know, the idea that his parents had no problem throwing him under the bus. Um, and so they're saying, hey, ask him. And so then we continue on in our chapter in verse 24. In verse 24, and by the way, our second verse, verse 25, maybe one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. Because verse 24 says, a second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Let me read that again. Whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I told you already. You did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple? We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, now that's remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners. He listens to the godly man who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. 
If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. All right? So he has to answer again. And I just love that verse. Whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. I was blind, but now I see. I was blind, but now I see. You know, I don't know how much of this guy knew of the Bible. I don't know how much he could argue with Scripture. But what he did know is that Jesus had changed his life. He, do, he did know that he, he at one point was sitting on the side of the road blind, having to beg, and now he could see and he didn't need to do that anymore. And so it's a reminder, like he had what I would say is a powerful testimony of what Jesus had done in his life. All right? A powerful testimony of what Jesus had done in his life. No one could argue with him. Okay? No one could argue with that testimony because Jesus had changed him. And so the reality is, maybe most of us in this room, we don't have, rat anybody else born blind here that can see today? Okay, nope, not even Dino. Okay, good. So the reality is, though, we all have a testimony of what Jesus has done in our lives. Now, don't get me wrong. I want you all to know your Bible. I want you to be able to answer questions that people have about your faith. But in the end, your testimony is so powerful because it's, and listen, I just know this. I was once like this, and because of what Jesus did, I'm now like this. And so it doesn't matter how much you know. Okay? It doesn't matter where you've been. And in each one of us, your testimony is powerful no matter where it is. I would say a guy born blind in Jesus Hill, and that's a pretty radical testimony. Some of you, you grow up going to church. You've gone to church your whole life. There wasn't ever a time where you rebelled against that. You're still here now, and you'll be here until the day you die. And you know what? There's something beautiful about that testimony as well. And we need all the testimonies from all, everybody that's in between all of those. They're all powerful. And so we need to learn, and we need to think about how has God changed me? How has God worked in my life? What has he done to make me different? Or what is different about me? You know, there's another story in Luke chapter 8 where D Jesus heals a man who's got a demon in him. Another pretty radical, radical story. And, and in Luke chapter 8, when Jesus um, tells this story, and I've lost the passage. Luke, I'm going to have to look it up because I don't know where it is in my notes. In Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 38, says, The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. And so this guy is changed by Jesus, and he goes out and he tells everybody about it. All right? Now, I also think of this guy in John chapter 9. Do you think there's anybody that he didn't tell about his story, about what Jesus did? Like every time, did I ever tell you about what Jesus did for me? Did I ever tell you about what Jesus did for me? Did I ever tell you? Like, I'm sure he told everybody he ever came in contact with. And honestly, shouldn't that be the way we are too in our lives? Sharing our faith with the people that we know and that we love and those that we don't even know. All right, let's continue in our chapter. In John chapter 9, although I got to get back there. There we go. John chapter 9, we're going to pick it up in verse 35. Because this is really the summation of what the whole point of the chapter is about. In John chapter 9, starting verse 35, it says, Then Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? 
Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see, and those who will see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, what, are we blind too? Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim that you can see, your guilt remains. And so Jesus has given a summary of what this whole point is all about. And one of the things that I love about this section here is this. Jesus has healed the guy. His parents are afraid of getting tossed out of the synagogue. That's exactly what happens to this guy. And what, what happens next? Jesus goes and finds him. Jesus doesn't leave him alone. Jesus doesn't leave him in that situation. Kind of like the song, Reckless Love, the third song, which is modeled after the parable of the lost sheep where they leave the 99 to go after that one. Jesus hears, must have heard about what happened to the blind man, how he'd been tossed out. And Jesus doesn't just leave him alone. Jesus goes and finds him, which I think is awesome. But then this chapter, it starts, and we tend to think it's all about this guy born blind. But really, this whole chapter is about being spiritually blind. Because he was blind, he couldn't see, but he wasn't the real blind one. The blind ones were the Pharisees who thought they could see, who even thought they could spiritually see, and yet Jesus said, no, you guys are blind. And if you didn't, and like, and he's like, listen, if you didn't realize that, like, you wouldn't even be guilty, but because you think you can see, you guys are in trouble. Okay? And the reason I want to point that out and make a big deal about that is this, is you know what, it's so easy for us as Christians to become blinded at times. You know, quite often the warnings of the Pharisees in the Gospels, you and I as Christians would do well to listen to and pay attention to, to make sure that you and I don't become the ones that are spiritually blind. The second thing I want to notice in this back section here is this. I want you to notice the progression of his understanding of Jesus in this chapter. Okay, we don't know what he thought about Jesus before he was healed, but when he's asked about him, he first starts off by saying, oh, this man Jesus healed me. All right, I believe that's in verse 9, or verse 11. He refers to Jesus as a man. But then he's going to explain on further about Jesus. By verse 17, he's saying Jesus is a prophet. And then now as we get to the end of the chapter in verse 38, we read that he is worshiping Jesus. All right, each one of us is on a path similar to that. Like, you know, none of us starts off going, oh, I know Jesus is Lord. Some of you might have walked through the doors today and you don't know Jesus at all. And we're glad you're here. But this guy in one chapter is making those steps from, yeah, this guy Jesus healed me. He's a prophet. And now I understand that he is my Lord and to worship him. So before we close this morning, I just want to mention a few takeaways for us in this chapter. Number one, I want you to understand that God sees you and he cares for you. I want you to know that God sees you and he cares for you just like he saw and cared about this blind man. Jesus sees you and cares about the things that are going on in your life. 1 Peter 5 verses 6 and 7 says, Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. I don't know what you're going through, but I know that Jesus has not left you there by yourself. He's right there next to you. He's right there with you. That no matter what the struggles, no matter what's going on, he loves you and he cares for you. Secondly, I want you to remember that we all have a story to tell. 
We all have a story to tell. It may not be as crazy as a guy born blind. It may not be as crazy as someone who's been healed, you know, had a demon cast out of them. But you and I all have a powerful testimony, a story to tell about what God has done in our lives. And so maybe some of you need to go home and you need to think about that. Like some of you, maybe you've been sitting in church for 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. Maybe you don't even remember anymore. And so sometimes maybe you need to sit down and think about it. Like how has God changed my life? What is so different? Because we all have a testimony to share with people around us. And again, I read that passage out of Luke chapter 8 about that demon-possessed man. What a powerful testimony he had. Thirdly, I want you to notice this. You know what, number one, and I mentioned this already, you and I, we need to be careful that we don't become spiritually blinded like the Pharisees. They thought they could see, but they were blind. They thought they were healthy, but they were sick. They thought they were righteous, but Jesus told them they were still in their sin. And so we need to make sure that we're not in that situation. Because you know what? You could sit in church every week. You could go to Bible studies every Wednesday night. You could go do this, you could serve, you could do all kinds of things and still not know Jesus. All right? And so we need to make sure that we aren't spiritually blind like the Pharisees were. In uh, Psalm 145, or 146, verses 5 through 9, it says, Blessed are those whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God. He is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner, sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the ways of the wicked. But the Bible also tells us that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And so we want to make sure that we're not spiritually blind and that our eyes are open. And lastly, our response to God needs to be on our unwavering faith. Like our response to what God has done in our life needs to be to trust and obey. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. And so as our, in our lives, as we go through it, and there's all kind of twists and turns and ups and downs, our job is to trust in him as we go through those things. You know, at the end of the day, I can't explain to my son why all those things happened. I could give you explanations like the ones that were in Bob Russell's book, but I can't really explain why. Those are, I would say those are little W explanations of why, but the big, like the big why, why does God let those things happen? I don't have an answer for that. But what I do know is that I could tell him, I don't know why, but I know that God is right there with you. And God is right there next to you as you go through those things. And that's something that we all need to remember and be reminded of. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your grace and your mercy and your love and and just your care for us. And I'm so grateful that each day as we go through life that we are not on our own but that you are right there with us. I pray that you would help us to remember that, and I pray that you would help us to share that with the world around us. Thank you, Father. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at wvcch.org, or you can join us live in one of our Sunday services. Have a great day. Remember, Lord,
tender mercies and your love that you've always shown me. You forget all my rebellion.